Welcome to the Elite Professionals in Coaching Podcast, hosted by Chris Aird, business owner and CEO of With Purpose. Bringing you leadership, growth ideas, mindset transformation, and strategic information for the entrepreneurs, business owners, and community leaders. You will be encouraged, educated, and empowered to develop your people, implement your processes, and increase your income. Now get ready to listen to the newest episode of the Epic Podcast. Welcome to Epic, another podcast episode from With Purpose. My name is Chris, and I'm with our special guest, Dr. Teresa Aris. As CEO of Individualized Learning Center, Dr. Teresa, or Dr. T, holds a doctorate in special education. She's certified as a special education and elementary teacher. She's also a school, she has a certification as a school administrator and has had a national board certification in birth through young adulthood. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. T. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, I've wanted you on this podcast for quite some time. You're a busy young woman. And so um, I'm glad that we were able to connect and get you on here. And I know that there's a lot of great things that you are doing, not only for the people that you serve and their families, but also the community. And we'll get into that here in a moment. Um, But I also just appreciate you as a person, you as as an educator, you as a disciplined individual, business owner, um, and and all the other things that you have going on along with your passion for developing people. So thank you so much for what you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let's get into this. Um, So what would you say are maybe your three top characteristics? Uh, my three top characteristics would have to be um, integrity, honesty, and service to others. Okay. All right. I like those. Um, what about it? What about integrity? Does it put it at the top of your list for you? Uh, doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Uh, to me, integrity is, you know, you're, you're, the core of your heart, you know, are you, are you doing this for your own um, personal gain or are you doing it because it's truly the right thing to do? And so to me, integrity is, is doing the right thing. um, Even when the right thing isn't the popular thing, so to speak. Very good. Very good. So, okay. So here's where I really, really want to know about you. How did you get into working with um, individuals with disabilities? Well, it goes back years. Um, Growing up, my mom had polio when she was 10. And so as a child, I watched people watch her with a lamp. She wore um, the braces on her legs uh, when I was really young Um, and went through a lot of surgeries. So watching her go through something with a physical disability and having other kids look at, look at us as, as a family, like there was something wrong with us when to me, she was just normal. She was just mom. That's the way I've always known her. She had a limp as you know, my entire life. Um, But also when I was going through school, I struggled as a reader um, I struggled to fit in. Um, I 
didn't ever, you know, I could, I felt like I was a chameleon. I could, I could blend in with whatever group I was in, but I never really fit into that environment, um, at least in my mind. And so when I got out of high school and started going to college, initially I was uh, going to college to become a high school English teacher and a volleyball coach. That was my dream. And so I did, uh, I remember having a uh, internship or, you know, I had to do a semester in a classroom and I walked into the high school English classroom and just the attitude of the kids there of, you know, who are just very judgmental and um, they knew more than I did and so on. But I also at the same time, because my, my, um, my focus was on special ed as well. I had to do a minor in special ed. And so when I went into that room, they were just open. Those kids were like full of hope for anybody that walked in the door. They, you know, was, was a ray of hope for something better. Um, so that's what really got me started into working with kids with disabilities um, specifically. I love that. The background, the history. So why, why take your educational level to that of a doctorate? Well, um, when I was interviewing for my first teaching position um, as a special education teacher, I remember the director at the time, um, Dr. Lynn Heron, who's my hero and will always be my hero, and that was years ago, um, was, of course, asking the interview questions. And he asked me the question, what do you want to be doing, you know, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? And so, you know, I, I talked about how, you know, I had a, a year from now, I just I'm still going to probably get it, be getting my feet underneath me and learning how to be a teacher uh, three years from now. Um, my understanding is people don't last in special ed very long. Um, so I expect I'll probably be moving into a general ed um, elementary school teaching position um, because of my mind, that's what I thought. And he said, OK, well, what do you want to be doing five years from now? And I looked at him and I said, I want your job. And he kind of giggled and um, that kind of went by the wayside. But over time, um, gosh, I probably was working into my, about my fifth year, actually, it was about the fifth, sixth year of my teaching. And um, he said, I'm going to be retiring. And he said, you said that you wanted my job. And so you need to go back and get your master's degree in administration. And the program that he wanted me to go into, you had to be recommended by an, a public school administrator to get into that program. It was at the University of Wyoming. It was a cohort program. And so it wasn't like I could just sign up for it. I had to be recommended by a supervisor to go into it. And so he recommended I go in there. Um, and so I got my master's degree and worked as a director of special education and elementary school principal for a while. Then I went back to the classroom. And um, through the course of time of working with kids from kindergarten through high school with all varying types of uh, de degrees of disabilities. One of the things that I discovered is as an elementary teacher, when those parents bring their child to school, 
particularly at the K through three level, they walk in with this sense of not really pending doom, but uncertainty of, you know, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, please understand that, but that this is kind of like a lifelong sentence, if you will. My child's going to be with me forever because I don't know what they can become. But at the point of the high school, then those parents are coming to parent conferences or whatever, and they don't want to let their child go. They've had them for so long and they've seen growth over time that they're afraid for that child to take that next step of independence or semi-independence or whatever they can do because they don't feel like there's anybody out there that's going to love their child to the extent that they have. So when they first come in, they feel like there's no hope, no help. And by the end of their public school experience, they find that there's there might be hope, there might be help, but not as good as me kind of a thing. And so what I did is I started doing um, seminars for parents called Leaving No Child Behind Seminars. And um, I would have them throughout the course of a year, I think three a year. And what we would do at those seminars is bring in anybody that did anything for a child with a disability. It could be lending libraries for assistive technology. It could be attorneys on um, guardianship. And it, it, it was, you know, emergency room doctors and nurses who didn't know how to put a g-tube back into a child initially so anybody that worked with their child or that their child may come in contact with uh, vocational rehabilitation division of developmental disabilities uh, medicaid medicare any any agency that could be thought of that may touch that child's life i would invite them to come get on stage and talk about what their service was and so for an hour, we would go through um, a series of um, guest speakers that would talk to include adults with disabilities. I remember we had this one guy who was thrilled that he got to videotape a life of, a day in the life of, of, we'll call him John. So John spent a week videotaping him, getting up in the morning, fixing his breakfast in an assisted living center, going to work, coming home, what are his chores? So the parents could see what these agencies were that were out there that might touch their child or might be able to help their child in whatever manner. That was an hour long presentation. The second hour, the families and the, and the um, guest speakers were given um, a plate of food and each agency that was highlighted on that particular day had their own table. And whoever touched the parents or whoever, whatever speaker ignited a, a question or interest in the parent, they could then take their dinner to that table and talk to that person individually one-on-one. -on -one. And they could set up um, a follow-up interview or um, appointment to get signed up or whatever that might be. During the course of those seminars, the girl that helped me with that was, um, in folk rehab. And she says to me, she said, you know, Teresa, you need to get your doctorate degree. You need to publish this, this curriculum and let, and so other people could, could take it and do it in their um, environments or in their communities. 
I had no intention of getting a doctorate degree. I was done. I mean, I struggled. As I said, I was a struggling reader growing up. And so through her prompting, I did um, got my doctorate degree in special education specifically. Um, And the more I learned about just, you know, the laws and advocating and public schools and the things that kids need, um, I was glad I did it for the most part. Um, it was more of a, I was glad I got the additional learning. The degree mm-hmm. itself, um, I did my dissertation on um, seamless services for kids exiting high school into adult living. So that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I've always had this feeling that I wanted, I wanted children to have something else to do at the age of 25 besides sit and watch TV or play video games. Okay. So with all that that you just said, as long as I've known you and it's been a few years, I think you have a heart of gold, not because of what you do, but because of who you are and your integrity about you, your honesty about you. When, when you take all that you've done and all that you've shared based upon your background and what you're doing right now, let's, let's talk real quick about what you're doing right now through Individualized Learning Center. So it's a school. Tell us a little bit more about um, what benefits you provide, how, how the students in your private school um, react to that, maybe some um, maybe a cool uh, a story or two of, of some families that have been impacted. Well, uh, this um, school, actually the thought of this school in my mind was born clear back in the year 2000. So it's been 21 years coming to wanting to provide a place where kids were given hope and were on a path that help them to become their best self. And um, so we have New Hope Advocacy. New Hope Advocacy is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that specifically works to help give hope to parents of children with disabilities, but also to adults with disabilities, the elderly and our veterans. Um, With that organization, wanting to help children become their best self. I was given the opportunity to um, take over Nova Learning Center, individualized learning centers. This is a private day school for children with social and emotional and behavioral disorders. When I walked in, these kids are, have deep down, they have a heart of gold, but they're so angry. They have been the trauma that they have experienced in their lives um, surpasses their desire to want to learn anything. A, they don't think they can. And I've certainly been there as a child with an an unidentified learning disability, feeling like I am stupid and it's easier to act out than it is for my peers to see how dumb I am. Um, Struggling with things at home, struggling, um, especially with covid the quarantine and being um, not able to go to school. So not able to see, to make positive connections with peers. Um, 
parents not knowing what to do, um, just the whole COVID thing just kind of exacerbated these feelings of emotional trauma and fear in kids. And so here at NOVA, what we do is we take every child and where, where a typical school is, you're a seventh grader, great. You're going into seventh grade. These are the classes you're going to take. This is the course of study you're going to take. And, you know, good luck and have fun. When, is, when a child walks through our doors, we don't look at what grade level they're in. We have a, a meeting with a parent. And oftentimes we have, you know, social workers um, through DCS. We have parole officers. We have um, DD workers, case workers. We sit down with that group of people and we say, okay, what, what, what your past is doesn't matter because we can't change that. We sit down, we look at what are your future dreams? What are your dreams? We write them all down and we say, as a group, everybody that has a, a, a connection to the child, what are this child's strengths? And we put those on the board and we say, okay, so given these strengths and given these dreams, what are the challenges or the obstacles in the middle that are interfering with them reaching that dream? Sometimes it's the child needs to have some intensive therapy. So we provide that. Sometimes the child needs uh, speech therapy. We provide that. Sometimes it's the child needs to have a completely different course of study. Let me give you an example. You asked for an example. We had an 18-year-old child. Um, he exited um, a juvenile detention center because he aged out. So they couldn't keep him anymore. This child had been in a lockup or in a juvenile center since he was 10 years old. So for eight years, he had not experienced a public school environment. Um, in addition, a uh, child had a disability, has a disability. Um, so there were huge gaps in learning, not just academically on what he was given in the juvenile detention center, but think of all of the vicarious learning a child gets just because they live in the community. You know, yeah. what, is a, what is a debit card? What is a spam call? That's a story child didn't know what a spam call was. He was answering all these calls and wanting to talk to these people because, oh my gosh, I'm out and I have this cell phone and they want to talk to me. And so we had to teach him what a spam call was. Um, no, he had eight credits toward graduation as an 18 year old. And I believe in Arizona, you need 21 or 23. So a long road to hoe. So we sat down and generated a course of study for this particular individual that included part-time academics to include independent learning opportunities. What are the skills he's going to need to live independently? Um, vocational learning skills, um, connecting him to adult agencies that are going to be his network of support after he's done, whether he you know, gets his GED or whatever. And so that's what we do here. We look at the individual. Every child is treated with dignity and respect. They are not defined by their behaviors because their behaviors are the outward um, response to an emotion, whatever that emotion is. And most, if not all of our kids 
have experienced trauma in their life and continue to experience trauma. So that's what we do here. We educate, we remediate, and we provide the therapeutic services and supports they need to truly become their best self in society. Okay. So for our listeners, I love this. This is absolutely, I think that, first of all, this is just from my perspective, I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, but from my perspective, this is something that is not talked about a whole lot in the public eye. Am I right on that? Public schools are bound to uh, teaching the child, right? Their primary focus is academics. And we've had kids removed from our classroom by or from our, our school by schools that want more of an academic focused um, path for children. But the research shows if you don't deal with the, the trauma for these children, they're not going to learn. They've got to deal with the trauma that's the foundation of the behaviors. And so, yes, there are counselors in public schools. And yes, there are social workers in public schools. Those people typically have a caseload of anywhere from 65 to 165 kids on their caseload. Here at NOVA, our classes cap out at 10 kids. We have no classes larger than 10 students. And at 10 students, there's two behavior techs or behavior coaches in there, in addition to a certified special education teacher. Wow. So there is, seriously, so that would be the name of the school, that you're providing individualized learning to a child, to a young adult. Um, let me let me ask you this real quick. And um, you mentioned earlier um, about COVID last year. And um, we've seen, we've always seen kids be kids. We've always seen teenagers be teenagers. But it seems like um, over the past few years, maybe 10 years, um, maybe even the past year, there's been an escalation of our young people in society acting out. Is there, and, and I'm not a firm believer, and I don't think you are either, that there's just one answer to fix everything. But is there is there something that you can share with the listeners that maybe if they have a child that's acting out or their child is in need of not necessarily your services, but care that you provide. Is there something that you can offer parents to kind of look into? Well, I think the hard part for parents is, and I'm a parent myself, I'm even a grandparent. So I, you know, the first thing when, when my child suffers or is making choices that I don't agree with, my first response is, what did I do wrong as a parent? And I think um, it's important for parents to understand that it may or may not have anything to do with you. Um, We also offer parent and family therapy as well. We have, remind me what you just asked me so I can come back to it. I'm going to go on a little squirrel chase for a minute. Because of the type of kids we serve and the fact that our school is only open from eight to two, um, this past year, we were um, granted a license for an outpatient treatment center program as well, which is New Hope Health. New Hope Health is specifically designed to provide therapeutic treatment for kids beyond the school day. Um, and, And 
Therapy includes art therapy, music therapy, uh, recreation and leisure to teach them something to do besides what they've always done. Get them in a circle of friends that's more healthy or activities that are more healthy for them. Um, Equine therapy, family therapy, um, group therapies, things that give them an additional opportunity to find that joy inside of them, that self-confidence and that courage to be the to be the kind of person that they they see. Sometimes it gets, you know, covered up and in the mess. And COVID certainly has done that when when kids are seeing their parents at home, their parents aren't sure, are, are they going to go back to work? So there's the stressors in the family that, you know, many of us may think, oh, you know, we'll get through this or it's, you know, depressing. But you're exactly right, Chris, that the rate of um, crime, specifically juvenile crime, uh, teen suicides, child suicides, for that matter, um, killings across the nation is up. I think I read somewhere 21 percent since last year, may even be more than that. And so I think, you know, there are there are hotlines to call. And I don't know if you're going to keep this on there or not, but, um, you know, and I've been there. I've been suicidal. I called the suicidal hotline. I was on the phone for an hour and a half. So I'm not saying that that's the best answer necessarily, but reaching out to somebody um Advocacy groups, New Hope Advocacy is always, you know, open to getting people connected to services and supports. There are um, lots of other agencies in the community that you can reach out to for support. But I think primarily it's don't give up and don't see the behavior as a, a dead end road for your child. The be, again, the behavior is just a manifestation of the emotion underneath it. Mm-hmm. And typically that emotion is a manifestation of some type of trauma, whether it's the trauma of not knowing the world changing. Um, My life isn't the same as it used to be because of COVID, there's no school. You know, there's a lot of trauma that kids have suffered over the course of this past 15 months. I just really like what you just said and all of that because it really summarized our entire conversation today in those few words of, of getting help and recognizing that what you're seeing on the outside is only a reflection on what's on the inside, right? And it's these are the product of the actual symptom that's taking place. So let me ask you this. Uh, let, me, let me ask this in closing. How can people get a hold of you? Should they want to know more information about you as a person, um, your school or whatever? So maybe Facebook, social media, website, phone number, that type of thing. Um, well, at either, you can reach me at the school. Um, the cell phone at the school is 602-616-6836. You can also reach us at new, uh, I'm sorry, novalearning.org is the school's website. New Hope Advocacy, uh, I believe it's .org, might be .com, um, is the New Hope Advocacy Organization Um that phone number is 307-214-4815. And then um, New Hope Health is also has a website as well. And that's newhopehealthaz.org. Okay. Just one last question. I just thought of this. Um, do you have open enrollment taking place now or somewhere in the near future? 
we have open enrollment um, at any time. A parent can come in and ask to enroll their child. Uh, we are searching for help. Uh, many of our kids don't qualify for the ESA scholarship because they're foster children. And so unless they have been adopted, they don't qualify for ESA scholarships um, that significantly impacts our ability to accept any child that walks through the door. Um, currently, we're running a, a GoFundMe uh, fundraiser to through New Hope Advocacy to try to get tuition money to parents to be able to choose whether it's Nova or some other school that will help their child um, to be able to choose to go to a school that's not your traditional um, public or charter school that will offer the help that these child, children need because we can't keep educating the same way and expect different results. We just can't, not right now. You know, I believe somebody said that's the definition of insanity. Schools have to change. We have to change the way we're helping these kids. Well, I appreciate um, what you're bringing to the table. I appreciate you um, putting the challenge out there for all of us to listen to and to know that you are one that is an advocate for solutions as well as um, underserved children, if you will, underserved um, youth. Um, you know, what strikes me just again, is is your story about having someone that aged out of the juvenile detention system. Um, and here they had only eight credit hours. That's amazing to me. Um, it just seems like we're not doing something fair. Um, and, and again, I know that that there are more of, of children, young people that are succeeding, but we need to focus on those that really do need the, the other additional assistance and all that. So thank you very much, Dr. T, uh, for being on this podcast. Um, I appreciate your leadership and the value that you bring not only to your students, but I think a resolve to family as well as to community. And um, I see great things in store and ahead for you and for everybody that is under your leadership. So thank you so much for being on there. In fact, I'll tell you this, uh, we'll need to have you back on in a few months so that we know that uh, your enrollment is up, that you're helping more and more students and that there's a, you know, there's an additional opportunity for, for people to listen to uh, what's been going on and what is going to be going on in the future. So thank you again. I just like to, to, to thank you for having me, Chris, truly. I really appreciate it. And I just like to advocate if I can at this time that you know, for all the money that's going to education, just if you're out there and you have the power to um, determine funding for education, put it in the hands of the parents, you know, put it in the hands of the parents. They should not be denied um, the right to educate their child because they don't have, because of their financial status. All right. So, all right. That's good stuff. Thank you again. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll make sure that that information that you've given to us for your listeners is available on the podcast as well um, with clickable links to your, your website email and, and hopefully the phone number. Um, thank you again. And for our listeners, thank you again for listening to another episode of Epic, this podcast. I think it's great. Um, we're really focusing on 
providing um, instruments of knowledge and education to business owners and community leaders. Um, and especially if you're a parent out there for this particular episode, um, listen to it again and, and reach out to Dr. T. She's a great wealth of information. Thank you again for listening um, and may, have a great day. And as I always like to, uh, to say, live with purpose. Thank you for listening to the Elite Professionals in Coaching podcast. If you want to stay in the forefront with business strategies and ideas, leadership conversations, tips and empowerment, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and then share with your friends and fellow business owners. For more information about With Purpose and their services, visit www.withpurposellc.com.